great, great singing this morning where there's just nothing like music that stirs the soul. Sometimes words cannot express what the song can. And I just want to say to you, uh, from where I was at in the front row here, just to hear God's people make these proclamations of truth for our own faith, but also for one another. It's just a real joy to be able to do that and to come together and to sing. How is your stress level this morning? Do you feel like you're in a thousand pieces? being pulled in different directions. In the National Stress in America survey, an annual analysis by the Harris Interactive for American Psychological Association, 35% of adults polled since 2007 reported feeling more stressed than the year compared with the last year. And they're finding that stress is going up, not going down in our culture. How's your stress level this morning? The survey involved some 2,000 people, adults, ages 18 and older, who answered a survey in August of 2012. I'd like to share with you a couple of pictures that you might be able to respond and relate to this morning. And I'd like you to choose one of these two pictures. I want to paint the uh, picture this way. Uh, we were out at Lake Michigan here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Lake Michigan looked just like this. Um, the picture that you see here, uh, Lake Michigan was just as calm as could be. There wasn't a wave on the lake. Uh, there were little, literally little, probably three-quarter inch waves that were hitting the shoreline, just making a little rumble, but there was no sound. Um, it was really kind of unique. Uh, I haven't been out at Lake Michigan when I've seen the lake this calm. It almost looked like glass, where you could almost walk across it. Uh, is your soul like this this morning? Do you respond to this picture of calmness, of tranquility, of rest, of peace? You probably have been out to Lake Michigan when the lake looks like this. And this picture gives us an idea here of what, uh, like this. Please come. <laughs> um, this picture right here is a picture where Lake Michigan gets really stirred and the waves crash, they bump into each other we live about a mile from the lake, and there are times where we can hear Lake Michigan roar because of the stirringness of the lake and the water hitting itself, and it's stirring, and it's just, it's turning literally inside out. I'd like you to choose this morning which of these two pictures does your soul most connect with the picture of calmness or this picture of the waves continuing to rumble. Here's another picture of a hurricane from space. A hurricane is an interesting storm that has in it the eye of what they call the storm. 
If you're in a hurricane, there'll be a time where the, the first half will hit. And as the hurricane continues through, you might be so fortunate to be in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the storm, the eye of the storm is where it's calm, peaceful, and tranquil. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that God gives you and I an eye in the storm. And you and I are going through some wonderful storms, and I say that purposely. Storms are ways that God will transform us into his image, and he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't. And oftentimes we want the storm to end. That's natural for us. There's nothing like being out on the lake where the water is stirring and the boat seems to be wanting to be overturned. But there is, friends, in the midst of the storm, there's an eye. There's an eye of the storm that is available for us. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn, and before you do this, just take your Bible and turn here. I'm going to ask you to turn to a book in the Bible that I'm guessing you probably have never maybe looked at over the last couple months. Maybe it's a book that you have never looked at. It's the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter 37? And when, as we turn to this passage of Scripture, we're going to find here a covenant that God makes with the people of Israel, and it is a covenant of peace. In fact, that's what the passage is going to say. Now, you might have a hard time finding the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And what we're going to do, if you're here for the first time, let me bring you up to speed as best I can with what we have attempted to do. This clock is here purposely because we are going through God's clock of the ages. And what we have done over the last eight, nine weeks, we have looked at different covenants that God has made with humanity. We've gone all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you'll find in your notes there's a clock that has all of the different covenants that we have looked at up to this point. Next week, we're going to look at the theme of the new heavens and the new earth. Pastor Craig Apel, who is here this morning, is going to be sharing from the scriptures, and he's going to be teaching this theme of the new heavens and the new earth. I'm not going on vacation, but we're allowing him to share from the scriptures because he's a pastor, and he's called to preach, and we've asked him to fill the pulpit as part of this series that we're going through. But what we're doing is we're looking at the different covenants. The covenant that we are looking at today is called the covenant of peace. And it comes to us by way of Jeremiah chapter 37. So let's read this passage. And why don't you follow along as I read Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel 37, beginning with verse 24. My servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. 
My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. This is the covenant of peace that we're going to look at this morning. Here's what this covenant is. This covenant, 10 o'clock, that we have is what we believe to still be future. This is a covenant that God is going to make with the nation of Israel where David's seed, the Davidic covenant, a seed through David will come and he will be the ruler, the shepherd of God's people, Israel, and there will be a kingdom that will be here on earth for what we believe to be a thousand years. That thousand years is not found in the Old Testament. That thousand years is found in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation describes a time in the future where Lucifer will be bound. He will be bound for a thousand years. And he won't have access to the earth. We believe that that thousand years is what the Old Testament scriptures, and there's a host of Old Testament scriptures. In fact, we're going to do an Old Testament study this morning as we go through the scriptures. We're going to look at a number of key passages that describe this time of peace. It's a time when Jesus Christ will be here on earth and there will be a kingdom, a literal kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. I'd like to share with you this morning 10 different characteristics of that coming kingdom, but here's what I like to do. I want to make it very applicable for us. I don't want us to see this as future. I don't want you to say, well, this is the thousand year kingdom that doesn't pertain to us. This is something that's going to happen in the future. I don't want us to think that way, even though this is a kingdom that is future. What I would like to do this morning is to share with you these 10 characteristics of this coming kingdom and then pull an application from those and give us about seven or eight applications to, to say to us, let's be people of peace. Let's be people that live in the eye of the storm. And we'll see what the eye of the storm is when we get to the end of our time this morning. For the next 20 minutes, I'd like to share with you 10 characteristics of this coming kingdom that is future and pull some of the applications that we can for us today. Let's look at the first characteristic. Well, before we do this, you've got the outline, uh, I hope, in your hands there. I want to draw your attention to the timeline. Uh, just, if you look at the timeline, I'm not going to go through all of it because we, we unpacked this pretty good last week. I want you to notice that the rapture of the church is the next event that we are looking for as the church, the body of Christ. First Thessalonians, the rapture of the church is the next event that we are looking for. We talked about last week the seven-year tribulation period that is after that. The Jewish church, the bride of Christ, God will start dealing with the nation of Israel again the time of wrath, God will pour out his wrath on the people of Israel and the world during that seven-year tribulation period. Jesus describes this period of time, this seven-year period, like no other time in all of human history. And we saw that last week. The climax of that seven-year tribulation period will be the birthing pains of the earth giving birth to the second return, the second coming of Christ, and on your outline, you'll see the second return. Jesus comes from heaven, Revelation 19, comes down to heaven, places his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's where he ascended. He was going to come back the same place that he ascended. He comes down, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, 
goes into the city of Jerusalem, which is only about a three-minute walk from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem, and he establishes his thousand-year reign where the earth and all of the earth's creation will be affected by his presence and his glory. And then I want you to notice that at the end of the thousand-year reign, there is, the Bible describes, a rebellion that takes place at the end of that. Lucifer is released for a period of time, the Bible says just for a season, and he will again challenge God in a rebellion at the end of the thousand-year reign. So you have the thousand-year reign at the end, a rebellion. You have the before the second coming, a rebellion by way of the seven-year tribulation period. And I would suggest to you that this is the storm that this thousand-year reign is found in. And Jesus Christ here establishes his kingdom. Some wonderful encouragement for our souls as we think about what God is going to do in the days to come. So now let's look at these ten characteristics and let's unpack some of these different items. Look at the first one. The first characteristic that we find of this coming kingdom is that it will be a time of peace and righteousness. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Again, we're going to look at some key Old Testament scriptures. Do not believe that the Old Testament is old history. Much of the Old Testament is written with a future eye on what God is going to do in the future. So you don't want to look at your Old Testament and say, well, I don't read the Old Testament because that's for yesterday. No, we read the Old Testament to understand what tomorrow will be like. And most of the prophets dealt with their personal experiences in the present with an eye on what it's going to be like in the future. So it is good for us to be Old Testament scholars. I'm saying this, not scholars in the sense, but we need to read our Old Testament Bible because it's good for us to see the whole counsel of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. And here's what Isaiah says. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Who's the he? I believe it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will delight in the fear of the Lord, the Father. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Verse 4. But with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. We find here that the coming kingdom will be a kingdom of peace and righteousness. A kingdom of peace and righteousness. These are two kissing cousins. <laughs> Let's put an application to this. When you and I live in righteousness, there's peace. When you and I submit to the will of God and we say yes to the Spirit of God that wants us to do the right thing, I suggest to you that when you make the decision to do the right thing, there will be peace and you will live in the eye of God's storm. Peace and righteousness are found in this coming kingdom and it is a true principle in all ages. If you decide to live rightly, there will be a sense of peace. Now, granted, friends, if you decide to live rightly, people around you might not agree with that, and they might be the storm. Some of us are making decisions to do the right thing in our families right now, and we're getting beat up by people that say, you know what, 
that's not right. Don't keep doing that. And they try and beat you down because you're making the statement and the step of right living. Righteousness and peace are kissing cousins. The Bible in Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The second characteristic of this coming kingdom, we see that it will be a time of peace as Christ will personally be present on earth and will sit on the throne of his father David in the city of Jerusalem. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. I know that some of these books might be a little bit different for us to find. I know for me sometimes finding these Old Testament books are difficult to be able to find. I would encourage you if you don't know the Old Testament a list of Old Testament books, memorize them. If you haven't memorized them, go back and review them. Look at Micah chapter 4. And again, these prophets saw a day and a time when this coming kingdom of peace would come upon them. In Micah chapter 4, verse 1, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. It will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. Verse 2, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The law there, that's the Mosaic Covenant. Remember we looked at that? The Mosaic law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And he continues to describe what we believe will be the coming kingdom of peace. Notice here that Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of his father David. The Davidic covenant will be fulfilled. David's seed, Jesus Christ, was born through the seed of David, and David's seed, Christ, will sit on the throne, and he will rule over that kingdom. Remember the first time that he came? They were looking for a kingdom. They wanted at one point to place him into the position of power, but Jesus stepped back because he knew that the time was not right. There were two comings, not one. The prophets many times thought the Messiah coming is one coming. No, the prophets described two comings, and the Jews missed those two comings. The first coming was to lay his life down for us, the world. The second coming, he will come as a lion to establish his kingdom. And so we find here that Jesus Christ will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Application. What does that mean for us? Can I suggest to us, by way of application, what does this mean to us today? I believe, friends, that when you and I put Christ in the center of our life, if you decide to put Christ in the center of your life, there will be meaning and purpose with him at the center. Is Christ the center of your life, of your soul? He will be the center of this coming kingdom and there will be peace. But is he the center of your soul? The term that describes best our culture today, God help us, is the term busy. We are so busy that we're being pulled apart. And if Christ is not the center of that busyness, 
We'll live in worry. We'll live in fear. And we'll live exhausted lives. In fact, I submit to you that if Jesus Christ is the center of your life, he will weed out your life. He will simplify your life, not make it more busy. Church today has a great opportunity to show what living a life of Christ's likeness is like. Because God's people are at rest, because he's the center. Look at the third characteristic here of this coming kingdom. It will be a time of peace as Israel's 12 tribes will be regathered together, unified as one in the land. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 37. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 37. We didn't read the passage prior to this. We read verses 24 to the end of the chapter, but if we were to read and take time to read, beginning in verse 15, what Ezekiel does here is he takes two sticks. He takes one stick that is Judah. He takes the other stick that is Israel. And remember that these 12 tribes had a civil war. And they split. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes went to the south. And they've never been one. They've always had this split. The prophet Ezekiel sees a day in the future where all 12 of these tribes will come together and they will be unified as one. What a day that will be. You find the result here of these 12 tribes being one. There will be a peace that will rule over all 12 of them. Application for us today. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he does not save just your soul. He saves your body and your spirit and your soul. He saves the whole person. If you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe that Christ died for your sins and you believe that he paid the penalty for your sins, he will save the wholeness of you, not just part of you. God is concerned about your physical body just as much as he's concerned about your spiritual body. And what we do is we separate the two. Salvation for God is not separating, they're one. Your body is just as a... Friends, some of us need to take a nap. And that could probably be the best spiritual thing that we could do for ourselves, is to take a nap, because we're running from day break till day end, and we're running 18, 20 hours, and we are living on fumes. And we are abusing our bodies. We're not getting to sleep, we're not watching what we eat. All of that is spiritual turf for God when he saves us. We think we are spiritually saved and it's just a spiritual thing that we do this and we separate the sacred. We separate our spiritual and our physical and God doesn't do that. He takes it all together and says, I've saved you wholly. All 12 pieces of you in the context here of these 12 nations or 12 tribes coming together. Well, we're not 12, we're three. We're body, soul, and spirit, and God saves all three of those parts. And God desires us to offer that to him as an offering of praise. So we see that oneness here that God has for the salvation of these 12 tribes. Application, God wants all of you. He saves us from the penalty of sin at the cross. He saves us from the power of sin as we're sanctified, and he saves us from the presence of sin when we're glorified and we get new bodies. You don't need to wait to get to heaven to experience heaven today. It's available for us. True, we don't have our new bodies. We don't wait to 
put him in the middle of your, of your soul to taste the goodness of who he is. Fourth characteristic of this coming kingdom is that it will be a time of peace as the temple in Jerusalem will be restored and reestablished. Look at Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel 37 here. Look at verses 26 and 27, 28. We read this earlier. He says, I will make a covenant of peace. There's our theme with them, Israel. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. God will, through Christ, dwell in the city of Jerusalem, Zion, and he will be the place of worship. Christ is the focal point of their worship. Application for us. Is Christ the focal point of your life? Is he the center? Does everything rotate around him? A fifth characteristic of this coming kingdom is that it will be a time of peace as Satan will be chained and bound for a thousand years. If we were to take the time to read Revelation chapter uh, 12, we would find there that there is a description uh, of a thousand years, uh, Revelation chapter 19, where a thousand years is given for this time that Lucifer will be bound. Application for us, friends, have you learned the word no to the enemy? I don't know. I had to practice this this past week. I was going down the road. No. I had to teach my lips to make that form and say no. Because you know what? That's the hardest word to say. Practice it. Say the word with me. No. Practice that every day. Say that out loud to yourself. Maybe five or six or ten. Just work on saying no. Because you know what happens? I don't know how to say no very good. Especially when it comes to temptation. No. Make a decision. And it's not a maybe. Maybe is much different than no. Saying no to Lucifer and his rebellion is part of the battle that we're in today. Turn off the computer. No. Turn off whatever we might need to turn off. Because there's so many gadgets today that we have. We have access to everything. We have access to everything. <laughs> everything. And we've got to learn the power of the word no. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No test or temptation comes your way as beyond the course of what others have had to face. You're not alone in having to say no. You're not alone. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will be there. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you through it. When you say no, he will be there to give you the strength to say no. Wow. That's a powerful word that we as believers need to practice on a regular basis. Number six, the sixth characteristic of this coming kingdom, it will be a time of peace as nature will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Oh my goodness, friends, there's a host of passages in the Old Testament that describe what the coming kingdom will be like. The animal kingdom will lie down together. The lion and the lamb will actually live together. It will be a day that we'll never see. The animal kingdom right now, they flee from our presence. The squirrels never want to come and eat out of my hand. I just don't understand that. 
the rabbits run from me. I don't understand why. I just want to pet the rabbits. But they run from me. Why do they run? There's a curse that has fallen over Earth. And that curse is part of what we're living in. The animal kingdom, we will be able to pet the lions and the bears. Humanity will have a day when we will go back to the Garden of Eden and we will taste the very thing that God created us to taste, the wonder of all of creation, and our animal kingdom will not be afraid of us. Oh, what a day that will be. Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 13. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verses 17. I mean, there's host of verse after verse after verse in the Old Testament that describe this wonderful day when nature will be a part of this peace that will come over the earth. Let's keep going. Number seven. This thousand-year kingdom will be a time of peace as the animal kingdom will be restored. Uh, six and seven kind of work together here. If you're taking notes, you'll see that these two are kind of two elements here. By way of working together, there is this animal kingdom that will be restored during this time. A wonderful day. That will be number eight. It will be a time of peace as human life will be extended. It seems like in the uh, prophet Isaiah, he talks about some people living to be 100 years old, and it will seem like only days where life expansion will be extended. <laughs> you know, we live 70, 80 years, and boy, we buck that, we fight that, we want every day, we want every year, every month, and rightfully so. We want to live as long as we can. God created us to live forever. That was the original tent. God put us in the garden not to die. God created us to live forever. That's what our souls yearn for. And this coming kingdom is going to extend life where people will live 100, 200 years. They used to live 900 years. And then sin got a hold and sin continued to work in like cancer. And now sin is in every area of our aspect. And some of us, if we're even glad to reach 70, 80 years old, we find that grateful. Life expansion will be extended. What's the application? I don't know if you've heard the jokes about stress turning our hair gray. <laughs> and everyone understands that stress feels uncomfortable. Um, this man right here is not under stress. <laughs> doesn't have gray hair on his head. But stress does that, doesn't it? At least that's what they're finding. In fact, they're finding out that stress actually damages your DNA. New research indicates that chronic stress, like the kind we experience in high-stress occupations, actually erodes and damages critical parts of our DNA over time. This damage and erosion can increase our odds of living a shorter lifespan. It's really interesting that the research that they're finding goes right along with the scriptures, that if we be trusting people, not that we're not going to die, but if we trust and we rely on God and we live in the eye of the storm, we're going to find that maybe our days will be extended. Number nine, uh, this ninth characteristic, it will be a time of peace as great material prosperity and security will rule. Uh, there's just a host of Old Testament passages here. I would just suggest application-wise that when we are not pulled in different directions, when we are focused, when we have a focus on life, there will be a sense of prosperity and security that results from them. And then number 10. This is probably my favorite characteristic of this time of coming kingdom. It will be a time of peace, number 10, as wars will cease and humanity will no longer train. 
and learn of war anymore. A planet where there is shalom, there is peace. Think of it, no wars. All of the money that we spend towards our military, we won't have to send our sons and our daughters into the military. Why? Because Christ will be here. And he'll rule and reign, and he will be the one in control. And there won't be wars. That's how the Bible describes it. I'd like to finish by way of one last passage. I want to take your attention to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans chapter 5, as we close up this theme of this coming kingdom, I'd like to ask you this morning to think about what picture you identified with. The picture of calmness, Lake Michigan, or the picture of the storm, the sea storm, uh, just the waves crashing into each other. Which one did you connect with? In Romans chapter 5, there's a great passage where Paul talks about this relationship that we can have with Christ. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? We have peace. We have peace with God. If you haven't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to come to the eye of the storm. And in the storm of life, there is a calmness and a peace that is offered to you through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're justified, it says, since we have been justified through faith. What does that mean to be justified? When Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins, and we believe that. We believe that he did that for myself. You believe that for your soul. You become justified in God's eyes. The Father looks at you and sees you as being sinless. That is, you're justified. And when you have that justification, you have peace that God gives you. There's a sense of peace that comes through that relationship that we are justified. I don't know what your stress level is like this morning. I don't know what your stress level is, and maybe this morning you're just being pulled in different directions. I, I'd like to finish with a story from the Gospels. It's one of my favorite stories. Jesus was walking on the water in the midst of a storm with his disciples. And the disciples were in this storm, and when they saw him walking on the water, they thought they saw a ghost. They didn't believe it was him. And Peter, bless his heart, he's the bold one. He says, Lord, if that's you, invite me to come join you. And he says one word. Come. Peter, in his boldness, crawls out of the boat. And in the midst of the storm, Peter starts walking on the water. And the Bible describes this scene as such, that when Peter was describing or saw the waves and he heard the wind, he started to sink because he took his eyes off of the eye of the storm, Jesus Christ. And as he began to sink, Jesus, the Bible says, reached out his hand and said, you have little faith. Pulled him up. And the two got into the boat. And the water was calm as can be. They were living in the eye of the storm. And they said, truly, this one must be the Son of God. My friends, 
The eye of the storm is available to you and I. Some of us are sinking in despair. Some of us are sinking in, in uh, things that we're trying to deal with. We're dealing with family issues, money issues, all the issues of life. Can I bring you to the eye of the storm this morning? The future has a future kingdom that shows there being peace. That peace is available to you and I today. Will you come to the Lord Jesus and believe that he died for your sins? And then, if you haven't taken that step of faith, don't take your eyes off of him. Some of us are sinking. We're saved, but we're sinking. Put your, put your eyes back on Christ. Believe. Or you will flow with faith. And then we climb in the boat. And we say in our souls, truly, this is the Son of God. Will you bow your heart and your head with me this morning? And as we close, Father, I pray that we might experience that peace that joy that comes from knowing your son, the Lord Jesus, the one who's the eye of the storm. Father, your eyes never are removed from our souls. Thank you, Father, that you have given this great gift of your son. You haven't left us. You haven't abandoned us in this storm of life. Father, it seems like the waves are getting bigger. It seems like things are stirring up. And yet, Father, there is a peace that can come through your Son, and I pray this morning that we might find our souls resting upon your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in him and in him alone, in him alone, that we find peace. Father, if there is anyone that hasn't taken that step of faith, I pray that today they would believe that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again for their sin, that they might say a simple prayer, Father, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I accept him, I receive him, is my personal Lord and Savior. Father, affirm that in every soul that is here this morning. And then, Father, for us that know him, help us to walk on the water. Help us to live, Father, as people of faith. If we have taken our eyes off of Christ, let him be the center of our hockey, our soccer, our baseball, our basketball, our hunting, our fishing, every element of our life. Father, may he be the center. Help us, Father, to be people of faith, to keep our eyes. On him. Thank you, Father, for these promises that are found in the scriptures. And all God's people said, Amen. May you have a rich a week this next week. Rest in the promises of God if you're here and you're planning to stay for the family Bible hour. We're going to start in about 10 minutes down the hall. And so we invite you to stay for a time of study for an hour. If you're not staying, I trust that you'll come back next Sunday and we'll finish. God's clock of the ages. Make sure you shake some hands before you leave. You're dismissed.